But please open to the book of Mark. We're continuing in our study of the Gospel of Mark. We are on verses 12 and 13 today, uh, covering the temptation of Jesus Christ. Mark gives us the Note version of uh, the temptation, and uh, I'll explain about that as we get into it. But Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 is our study this morning. I, let's ask God's blessing on our time together. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this day in which we have set apart time to let you know that we love you, that we want to know you better, that we want to be the best servants of yours that we can be. Whatever challenges that means, whatever suffering that means, whatever joy that means, we pray that we will represent you well. Thank you for your word. Help us to understand and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the story goes this way. It was testimony night in the church. Not this church, another church somewhere. A lady got up and said, We are living in a wicked land where sin is on every hand. I have had a terrible fight with the old devil all week. Whereupon her husband, who was sitting glumly by her side, said, It's not all my fault either. She's tough to get along with. <laughs> Temptation is no laughing matter. <laughs> That's where we want to start this morning. Temptation is uh, no laughing matter. Just to kind of point us where we're, where we're at in the book, book of Mark. Mark chapter 1, verses 2 to 13. The setting is this. Mark presents Jesus' credentials. We've been looking at that over the last two to three weeks. Jesus Christ is shown to be the Son of God, God incarnate, by the fulfillment of prophecy, by John's ministry and his message, by his baptism with God the Father and the Holy Spirit's affirmation. That's Jesus' baptism with God the Father and the Holy Spirit's affirmation. And four, this morning, we're going to be looking at how Jesus Credentials: how he is shown to be God incarnate by his power over spiritual forces. As one writer said, Satan could not defeat him. Satan could not defeat him. The setting for verses 12 and 13, which I'd like to read at this moment, at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan, he was with the wild animals and angels attended him. The setting for verses 12 and 13 is this. God the Holy Spirit compels Jesus to go into the desert to be tempted of Satan. Two things that we want to learn in this section is that Jesus' victory over temptation demonstrates his dominion over Satan and spiritual evil spiritual forces Number two, we want to see Jesus' victory over temptation is a model for you 
and for me in our temptations. As we get into this section of Scripture, uh, as we look at the temptation of Jesus Christ, uh, I want us to understand that the Scripture tells us, particularly in Luke 3.23, that Jesus was 30 years old when he began his ministry. So uh, when I was thinking about that and I was looking at that, and I thought, well, that's a good part of our church. So maybe those of you who are in that 30-ish area can really identify with what Jesus Christ faced uh, in his life uh, at 30 years old. In the one-year study Bible, they made an interesting point I wanted to share with you before we get on to the temptation. Imagine, they said, the Savior of the world working in a small-town carpenter's shop until he was 30 years old. But he patiently trusted his father's timing for his life and ministry. Thirty was the prescribed age for priests to begin their ministry. Joseph was 30 years old when he began serving the king of Egypt. David was 30 years old when he began to reign over Judah. Age 30 then was a fitting time to begin an important task in the Jewish culture. Today, fewer rites of passage outline the seasons of life. Careers are delayed by extended education. Marriage is often delayed by education. Careers are not having found the right person. More important than getting the timing right is trusting God for each step. More important, I thought that was a great statement, more important than getting the timing right is trusting God for each step. This doesn't mean things will happen any sooner could Jesus have been ready before he was 30? Probably. However, the writer goes on, having a heart that's used to trusting God will make you ready for whatever you're facing now and later. At the right time, Jesus began his ministry and he taught us, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And so I want to challenge all of us, but maybe those who are in that age group, that, that 30-ish age group, uh, are you developing a heart of trusting God? Are you developing a heart of trusting God? Uh, I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in the message paraphrase, which says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. There are lots of things waiting for you in your life, and they may not be coming as quickly as you would like, but it's a great time to learn to trust God. And it's the time when Jesus began his ministry. Well, let's look at verses 12 and 13. That once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, notice that this temptation that Jesus faced was initiated by God himself, by God the Holy Spirit. The temptation that Jesus faced was initiated by God the Holy Spirit. At once the, the Spirit sent him out into the desert and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan he was with the wild animals and angels attended, attended him. So therefore, it's important for us to remember that it's the Holy Spirit who initiates this temptation of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who thrusts him. In fact, it's a very strong word, sent. 
is a very strong word, means to drive out the Holy Spirit. Now, imagine this. Jesus has just been baptized as he comes up out of the water. God the Father and God the Holy Spirit uh, 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 just uh, raise him up, lift him up. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit descended upon him like a dove. A voice came from heaven. And this, immediately following that, the Holy Spirit compels, thrusts Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the Holy Spirit. What's important for us to remember is that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit you can be obedient to God's will, and you can still experience trials and temptations. That's an important point for each one of us. We can be filled with the Spirit, we can be obedient to God's will, and still experience trials and temptations. Now, you might say to yourself, well, John's already in the desert. What does it mean that the Spirit thrusts Jesus into the desert? Well, it's simply saying that uh, he was, he was uh, sent further into the desert. In fact, most commentators believe that the temptation of Jesus happened near the northern shore of the Dead Sea, somewhere near Jericho. That's the traditional site for the temptation. Now, you'll notice uh, there are a lot of allusions here to the Old Testament. Uh, the mention of 40 days. 40 was a common motif in the Old Testament. You might remember that uh, in, with Noah, it rained 40 days and 40 nights, Genesis 7-4. Uh, with Moses, Moses was on the mount for 40 days and 40 nights, Exodus 24-18. Elijah Fleeing to Mount Horeb was 40 days and 40 nights, 1 Kings 19.8. Jonah announced judgment upon Nineveh in 40 more days, Jonah chapter 3 and verse 4. So 40 is a, a common motif in the Old Testament, 40 days, 40 years. Uh, in fact, there are many who believe that what is happening here is Israel spent 40 years in the desert why? Why did Israel spend 40 years in the desert? They failed the test. They failed the test. The test was they were to go into the promised land and they failed the test. And so they had to spend 40 years in the desert because they failed the, de the test. The 40 days of Jesus when he is tempted of Satan the 40 days of Jesus remind us that he succeeded where Israel failed. He succeeded where Israel failed. Well, what does it mean to be tempted? Uh, that's a, a common question. The Greek word is peirazo, peirazo. And as one writer put it, it means to be put to the test to discover the kind of person that someone is. To be put to the test to discover the kind of person that someone is. The word peirazzo has a good sense and it has a bad sense. In the good sense, peirazzo means to test or to try or to prove. That's what's happening here with Jesus. He is being tested. 
he is being tried, uh, what, what he, who he is and his power and his power over Satan and evil spiritual forces is being shown in this passage. There's a negative sense, a bad sense of the word peirazzo, and that is the common way we think of it, to be, to be tempted towards something wrong, to be tempted toward sin. So peirazzo means to put to the test, to discover what is in a person, to demonstrate, in this case, the quality of the Lord. The word peirazzo is used of God's testing. God tests you and me. God tests his people. The word peirazzo is also used of Satan's enticement to sin. You and I may be tested at God's behest to see the quality that is built into us, to see what our character is, kind of like Job's test. Remember Job several times, I think it's three times in the first couple of chapters of Job, we are told what an upright person he is, what what an upright man that he is, a man in relationship with God, and yet this test, this trial comes upon him. Why did it come upon him? It came upon him to show what he was made of. It came upon him to give him a greater reference, a greater uh, picture of God and God's greatness. So why, you might ask, was Jesus tempted here? Well, there are a couple of reasons. Number one, to show his qualifications for his mission, to show his qualifications for his messy. <coughs> his messianic mission. Secondly, excuse me, he was tempted to identify with us. He was tempted to identify with us. Thirdly, he he was tested to demonstrate his authority over Satan. Satan tried to divert Jesus from his divinely appointed mission. So the test was to demonstrate his authority over Satan. And fourthly, it was to show his commitment to the Father's will. Would Jesus be obedient? Would Jesus be obedient? The tempter is called Satan in our passage. The Spirit sent him into the desert. He was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. Satan means adversary. Satan means adversary, the one who opposes Matthew and Luke, which have the parallel passages of Jesus being tempted in the desert, uh, say that the temptation was by the other name of Satan, which is the devil, a, a name that means slanderer, slanderer. And we're told that not only is he being tempted by Satan, but he was with wild animals and angels attended him. There are various thoughts about what the animals mean, the wild animals, why they are mentioned. Some believe it's because uh, to show how dangerous this situation was for Jesus, to show God's protecting care over Jesus, to show the ministry to angels with Jesus. Others believe that perhaps the wild animals here are are, uh, a, a reference of 
a thought about the millennium when the lion and the lamb will lie down in peace, when uh, the animal kingdom will, instead of being uh, voracious toward each other, they will be at peace with each other. So uh, we're not sure what the reason for the mention of wild animals is here. Well, one writer said Jesus' temptation was not to see if perchance he might fail and sin in the hour of stress, but rather to prove that he would not fail because he was the absolutely sinless one. They do him a grievous wrong who impute to him either a sinful nature or the possibility of sinning. Scripture guards against any such misconceptions when it tells us that he was tempted in all points, even as we are, yet without sin, or literally apart from sin. There was in him no inward tendency to sin. The temptations were all from without and found no response whatever in his heart. That was classic commentator Harry A. Ironside. Dr. Louis Barbieri says this, Satan and his forces are in constant, intense opposition against God and his purposes, especially Jesus' mission. Satan tempts people to turn aside from God's will, accuses them before God when they fall, and seeks their ruin. Remember, 1 Peter 5 tells us that Satan goes about, uh, the devil goes about on the face of the earth, seeking whom he may devour. He may devour. Satan is the adversary. He's the adversary of God and Jesus Christ, his son. He's the adversary of you and me, and he is the adversary of mankind. As I mentioned, Matthew and Luke in their parallel passages of the temptation use the word devil rather than Satan and it means accuser or slanderer. What Satan does is accuse man to God and God to man. You get a great example of that in the book of Job. A great example in the book of Job. Satan's the accuser in that he afflicts man with physical sufferings. Uh, he instigates a man to sin he tempts mankind to do evil by using deception. G. Campbell Morgan says, Jesus had come to establish the kingdom, and for 40 days he was tempted, tempted by his hunger to wonder whether God cared, tempted in the presence of the tremendous work that had opened out before him, as to how far he might venture outside the divine direction, how far he might proceed upon his own initiative, tempted as to whether the kingdoms of the world, with all their glory and beauty, might not be gained apart from the method symbolized by his baptism. Now, to look at the temptations in, in more in depth, as I mentioned, in a sense, Mark is the Note version of the temptation, because he only gives two verses to it, and he doesn't even discuss the temptation. He just mentions it, and he moves on. 
you can see that tendency of Mark to want to be move quickly and want to focus on action. Uh, so he doesn't spend much time on uh, teaching. Well, I want to spend a little bit of time. Two of the places, the two other places we find this temptation of Jesus in its in its entirety is in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, which I'd like to have you turn to, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, and also Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. You don't have to turn there. That's for your own benefit if you want to study fully the temptation of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to be looking at the Matthew passage, and in Matthew chapter 4, Verses 1 to 11, we have the temptation of Jesus Christ. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. This is Matthew's account. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the first of three temptations that Satan leads Jesus to. Temptation in this case was to fulfill a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. There is nothing sinful about hunger. Hunger isn't an issue of sin. But what Satan is trying to do here with Jesus is to tempt him to fill a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. By the way, that's a way that he often tempts you and me. That's a way that he often tempts us, to tempt us to fulfill a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. We should not be ruled by our stomachs. We should not be ruled by our passions. We should not be ruled by our physical needs. That's what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. And you don't have to turn there, but you can write down that passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for, the, for food, but God will destroy them both. That was a proverbial saying among the Corinthians at that time. In other words, the stomach was made for food, and you, uh, food was made for the stomach. There's nothing moral about it, so therefore... Uh, uh, don't don't, uh, be concerned about that. But then they applied that to the body and they applied that to the sexual relationship. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. For instance, what the Corinthians said, as food is for the stomach and the stomach is made for food, well, sex, we were made to uh, desire sex and therefore there's nothing wrong. It's no more... Uh, immorality is no more than satisfying your need for food. Paul says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are member of, members of Christ himself? 
Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We should not be ruled by our passions. We should not be ruled by our physical needs. God has given us a stomach and there's nothing wrong with satisfying our need for food as long as we do it in an honorable way, as long as we do it in a way that doesn't violate God's laws. The same thing is true of other physical needs, such as the need for sex. The need for sex, God has made marriage to take care of that need and marriage of one man to one woman in a committed lifelong relationship, as Genesis 2.24 talks about. And therefore, God has made the legitimate way to satisfy that need. It should not be satisfied in an illegitimate way. And the temptation for Jesus here is to satisfy his need for hung hunger, which was a legitimate need, a legitimate need, but to do it in an illegitimate way. In other words, would Jesus act independently of the Father? Would he act independently of the Father? That is the question here. It was God's will at that point that he be hungry in the desert with no food. To turn stones to bread would have been against God's will for Jesus. But you see how subtle Satan is. Nothing wrong with food, Jesus. Just turn these stones to bread and you'll satisfy your hunger. But it wasn't God's will for him to do that. Would Jesus trust God the Father to meet his needs? That's the heart of this temptation. Would Jesus trust God the Father to meet his needs? Will you and I trust God the Father to meet our needs? Will we trust God the Father to meet our needs. Jesus' answer to Satan is to quote the Old Testament. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, the, the point here is that the passage in Deuteronomy talks about a time when the Israelites were hungry and they were in the desert and they had no way to produce food. They had no alternative but to trust God. One writer said, even their food was decreed by the word of God. They had manna because it came by his command. His word kept them alive. His word satisfied their, their needs. God can satisfy our physical needs when we trust him. God can satisfy our physical needs when we trust him. Jesus was willing to trust God the Father and not take matters into his own hands and satisfy a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And we need to put our needs in God's hands and 
let God satisfy our needs in a legitimate way rather than an illegitimate way. The second, the second temptation is found in verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand in the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. Now, here, Satan gets really subtle, and by the way, his subtlety is one of the problems. He gets really subtle here because he quotes the Scripture, or rather, I should say, he misquotes the Scripture. Satan will misquote Scripture to you and to me to get us to do that which God desires that we don't do. So he misquotes the Scripture. He will command his angels concerning you they will lift you up, or he uses it in a wrong way. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Notice in verse 7, Jesus answers this temptation once again by quoting the scripture. It's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written, is Jesus' answer to the first temptation. It is also written, is Jesus' answer to the second temptation. The second temptation was an appeal to Jesus by Satan to doubt God's plan and God's timing. He wanted Jesus to do something spectacular to announce himself, to throw him off the temple, the top of the temple, and, uh, and, and let angels lift him up and keep him from hitting the ground. Satan is trying to get Jesus to announce himself in an illegitimate way, in a, in a way that God the Father did not desire. And that was the temptation here. That was the temptation to doubt God's plan and to doubt God's timing. Satan will misuse the Word of God in his temptations in our lives. Jesus' response is, it is also written. And he quotes Deuteronomy 6.16, and Exodus 17, 1-7, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's not proper to test God. Jesus knew that God was with him because God had promised that. Do you know that God has promised to you and to me that he would always be with us? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus knew that God was always with him, God the Father. The people of Israel wondered, was God really with them? And all the time, as we know, God was with them. The second test was, would Jesus follow God's plan and God's timing? The third temptation is in verses 8 to 11, where we read, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. The temptation was an appeal to Jesus to take the easy path to power and glory. The temptation for Jesus to take the easy path to power and glory. And by the way, this was a legitimate offer on the part of Satan because after all, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Satan is called the God of this age. In John chapter 12, verse 31, in Ephesians 2.2, 2, he's called the prince of this world. This was a legitimate offer on the part of Satan to Jesus to get the glory without going through the pain, to get the crown without the cross. 
And that was his appeal to Jesus. That was the temptation, the third temptation. Notice again in, in verse 10, Jesus quotes the word of God. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus once again answers with the word of God. Satan appealed along the lines in these three temptations of fulfilling legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. He appeals along the line of doubting God and his word. He appeals along the line of glory and authority and power without the cross. He appeals to you and me in that same way today to fill, fill the legitimate needs that we have in an illegitimate way. He appeals to us today to doubt God and his word. He appeals to us today to take the easy way to power and authority and glory. Well, real quickly, uh, I'm already two minutes over Jordan. I'm just going to finish up here. Uh, why are we tempted? We're tempted to see if we will trust God to meet our needs. We're tempted to cause us to doubt God's goodness and his timing and his plan for our lives. We're tempted to cause us to take the easy way out, to trust the gods of this world for our success. Sometimes we're tempted by a wrong or illicit desire. Sometimes it's by persecution. Sometimes it's by frustrating circumstances. These are all ways that Satan will tempt us. What strategies are there for you and for me to deal with temptation? Let me give you nine real quickly. Number one, know the word of God. That's probably the most important. Know the word of God. Jesus, if Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the Son of God, answered Satan's temptations in his life with the Word of God. Why should you and I think that that's not an effective strategy for us? So we need to know the Word of God. We need to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. We need to avoid situations that provoke temptation if possible. We need to flee when, when it's uh, necessary. We need to pray for strength. We need to resist Satan's subtleties and his lies. We need to tell somebody, a close friend or confidant, somebody who will love us, somebody who will accept us and pray for us. We need to remember Jesus' example. We need to know the difference between needs and desires. And we need to remember that the trial is temporary and victory is guaranteed to you and me who are in Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Father, there's a lot here, a lot to think about in this temptation of our Savior. Thank you that he did not answer Satan except to answer in the word of God. To stand for the truth of the word of God. May we follow his example. May we not yield to our physical needs and fulfill them in an illegitimate way. May we trust you 
for the times of our lives and the directions of our lives. And may we allow you to lift us up at the proper time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.